welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today we're talking to Bert Soren of Sorenex here in Lexington, South Carolina, uh, maker of, of fitness equipment and known worldwide from their cool marketing programs like Squattober and Deadcember. Um, everyone knows about the mustache design and things like that. But this is a, a conversation that I really didn't expect to have. Bert spoke so well of his business and where they've been over the years from his dad starting it in their garage in 1980 all the way to where they are now and everything in between. Check it out. So we're here today with Bert Soren of Sorenex uh, here in Lexington, South Carolina, uh, here on Footnotes. And um, hey, thanks for jumping into this with us. Um, you know, I was noticing in, in, in the research for to, to get ready for this conversation, you guys do a good job of giving the history of, of the company on, on the website. And it's easy to see that your, your dad began this and it was sort of one of the a classic story of, you know, you had five or six day jobs, you know, and at night you would, you would come home and turn on the welding machine and try to make a, a product that he wanted to use. Right. But I guess if we can, if we can, you know, for you as, as his son and kind of growing up and watching all that, what, what was that like to be in an entrepreneurial household where you had the four or five day jobs and you had the night thing and all that. What was that like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if I ever viewed it on the in the early days as a, as a kid as an entrepreneurial household. First of all, I probably wouldn't have known what that term was, but it was daddy's always tired, dirty, uh, out of time and building things you know, it just it was more building things. My dad builds stuff, okay. and so I saw that versus the the business side. And then mm -hmm. as I got a little bit older, it was I'd hear, you know, things like University of Kentucky and Tennessee mm -hmm. and different coaches' names and things like that. As so that that part would come home, and he would he would talk about, you know, we're making some amazing things for Kentucky or making amazing things for Reno or whoever. And so it started going in my mind like, oh. Daddy's making these things, these heavy things that I see in the garage or see all these different places that are going elsewhere to these other big entities that I'm heard of on TV. Sure. And so you kind of under, start understanding the, the footprint and the reach. Um, and then as you get a little bit older, when you start having the more adult conversations of, you know, money flow and partnerships, and you again, you get a little bit of this, that background and you see stress and you see and you understand that it's not always cut and dry mm -hmm. of what, you know, I make this product, everything goes well, we get money in the house. And, and so you start feeling those background pains and those labor pains mm -hmm. of that. And, uh, that was a that was the context that I needed early on to understand that this this lifestyle isn't always easy. Sure, but it sounds like it it wasn't a total turnoff. Um, you know, you're you're the president of the company now. <laughs> Strangely, um, <laughs> yeah, and really, I, I came to that by going to South Carolina, loving the training aspect, the strength and conditioning aspect. I like building things, take after my dad's footsteps in that regard from a solution side. Um, always held that in high regard that there were cool things that he would invent that I could see changing the world of strength. I wanted to be able to do that, but more than anything, I wanted to be able to help him out because I saw the point mm. where he was just, he was just overrun. Um, you know, he needed someone on his team that was you know, he got 100% trust. I was interested in it. So I came on not as a business move to be a president, CEO, or any of the above. It was, I'm gonna help dad out. 
and because he looks like he's over his skis right now with work and I could probably help because when I grew up, I was in the shop building things. And so I knew it wasn't going to be chipping BBs and, and, um, you know, sawing steel and things like that. Right. Um, but that, that's kind of the, the direction that I went with it. But to, to think of myself as an entrepreneur or a business leader, um, that was not it in the early days. It was, I'm out of college. I still enjoy, I was still uh, training for the Olympic trials in 2000 uh, and then subsequently 2004. So the training lifestyle and strength and conditioning was top of mind. And so if you could have a vocation that puts you in a relevant position within the industry that you're interested in, that seems, and also you're helping your dad out. Sure. It seems like a pretty easy fit. So, you know, this is such an interesting intersection. There, there seems to be several of them where business started out of something that sort of making something they wanted to use. Your, your dad was into strength and conditioning and coaching and, and things like that. And then you had an athletic career where up until that point, I mean, you had been training for something, Correct. using probably some of the family equipment, you, if you will. Using our, our babies, what, yeah. What is it like for that person where you have so many intersections of you're doing what you like, you're working with people you love, you're able to make a living, Mm-hmm. You're able to employ people. What What's that like when those things collide? It's interesting. Um, it's probably, it's, it's a lot like having kids. You know, there, there's mixed emotions. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're inextricably tied sure. um, to the business, to, you know, to my dad. It's like, you know, at one, at one point I would say, okay, my dad's my dad, my mentor, my business partner, my best friend, my hunting buddy. And, and, and at times, you know, we're, we're here because it's, you got, you know, what do they say? Like two, two big bulls in a the field. There's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, times where there has to be some, some talks back and forth. And but that's the cool part is we've been able to get through those things, um, and work together for 22 years. And I feel very blessed on that. And he's, you know, he's given me the the, the content and the context over his lifetime of work. And I was able to pick that up and then put it into a new frame of reference where I was in the industry, you know, younger coming out into the industry, the industry has changed somewhat. And mm-hmm. I was in my athletic prime going for a, a world renowned sport. So that it just put me in a very in like unique position. But to go back to your question, um, all of that is so melted together. It's yeah. legitimately a family business to the point where the business and life become, is it art imitating life or life imitating art? And, and you, you really some days it's one or the other, both, or and they reverse roles all the time. And so I kind of laughed at one point and I've tried at times to say, well, I have this job. And then I realized at one point I go, I get paid every couple of weeks for my life. I do my life, this is what my life is. And yeah, cool, every once in a while I get a check for it. That's pretty neat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when you kind of buy into that level, then all the other stuff falls away because then there's not other options, at least mentally and emotionally. There's not other options. This is what we do. And um, and you make it work. You make it work at times and it shouldn't have worked mm-hmm. because it's like a, a marriage or your kids or whatever. They might be hard to deal with or the, the situation might be difficult, but you're not just not going to have kids anymore. Right. They're on their parent. Like, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. Well, so kind of on the, along the lines of, you know, you coming into the business, um, you, you were sort of a power user, if you will, of this equipment, and you were you were in training and you were in the industry at the same time. 
you know, you notice things. We're, we're here in, in your shop um, mm-hmm. and see all these things on, on the wall. You got equipment all around here. I mean, it's like a giant showroom. Yeah. But um, things like Squattober, sure. uh, Dead Simber, um, are those things that you kind of brought in kind of along the lines of, hey, it's a new world, there's, there's a new media world, we've got to engage more people than just right. people who are training for the Olympics? Yes, yes. Uh, Squattober was the, the genesis of that. And it was literally, gosh, seven years ago, I was on the phone. I kept thinking, it was in September, and I called Aaron, Aaron Osmus, who was working for us at the time, and actually still is, does all the programming for Squattober. And I was like, hey, it's like, we ought to do like a month dedicated to like the squat. Like that, it's just, it's the king of lifts. And it was like, you know, it could be like squat timber. I'm like, ah, it's already like September 15th at this point. It's like, maybe we just make it Squattober because that's next month. Literally, it was that long of a conversation. <laughs> and the idea wasn't even to program training at that time. It was just, let's... Let's let's post something every day that that talks about this lift and just kind of give some, shine some light onto this. And we did that for basically a year. And then the next year, Aaron was like, "Well, I'm going to start writing programming for this that people could follow." It's like, "Oh, cool, that's a great idea." Um, so that was his idea, and he run it through. He did it through pen and paper strength app. He's a he's a very well renowned college strength coach, <laughs> and so the idea was, well, hey, if if we're going to talk about something that's difficult, which is squat, because it's not easy for anyone, but everyone needs to do them. So let's let's unite together and do something hard for 30 days hmm. and and to kind of bring dissimilar groups together and say, okay, cool, doesn't matter all the all the dividers you could name. That doesn't matter. If you if you got two legs and you could go down and come back up, we're squatting. Right. And so it's hard and it's hard for everyone. So let's all do it together for the next 30 days to see if we could all do something difficult together for 30 days. And then really, you know, I think four or five years ago, we finally had someone all seven continents doing Squattober. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's it's growing immensely the the following and then a couple years ago when you know there was a really some a lot of divisive stuff it's like hey how about united we squat like why don't we all again get together Mm -hmm. because so many things right now especially in the social media and media world are divisive it it, it's we saw it as an opportunity to bring people together over just streamlined hardship that's what it is we're gonna make something very hard for you that's gonna be predictable and streamlined and it's going to be safe, it's going to be effective, and your life will be better if you do this hard thing for 30 days. And so it was really just a service to our community. And, you know, it kind of turned out it was, it was a, you know, from business size, pretty good business thing. I mean, our, I think we gained 20,000 followers this month. Um, so there's that, you know, you have articles that have been written about it and, you know, different magazines and some things like that. Um, I mean, I guess you know you're you're doing something good when you have knockoffs that hit on Amazon, knockoff <laughs> Squattober shirts, and other people are doing Squattobering, and is that I find yeah. that kind of funny. Im- Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, so you kind of know, like, and, and now we have haters too, which is great. Okay. So when you have haters, I think that's when you know you're doing something good. Yeah. People are saying that Squattober is a dumb idea. It's like, literally, then don't do it. Right. Like, you seriously, you just don't do it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely optional. It's totally optional. <laughs> but, you know. Well, and, you know, you, you talk about streamlined hardship. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard you speak on, on this before about inefficient work Correct. in terms of what exercise is. You guys do a really good job of juxtaposing words that seem like opposites, but you're able <laughs> to put them together. Why do you do that? Uh, I think it's it's 
explanatory in some ways. There's an emotional response in some ways as well. Um, there, there's also the science of things and there's the art of things. And sometimes the art of, you know, I, I consider what we do a strength art. There's the science, the why it works, mm -hmm. sure. but the art is the how it works and what it makes you feel like and the customer experience with it. And I think we're one of the first companies that really looked at that from that side. And, but like a streamlined hardship or a, you know, inefficient work. And, you know, I, know, I recognized probably 10 or 12 years ago that the strength conditioning space or the human performance space, uh, it doesn't, it's not on the same growth curve, nor can it be with the rest of the world from a technology standpoint. Interesting. So the reason why is what is the point of technology? The point of technology is to make work easier or more efficient. Sure. Pretty much across the board. Yeah. Well, I started looking at it and I go, if you make strength conditioning easier and more efficient, you, you literally make it less effective. Hmm. Why it works is because it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's inefficiently hard. Mm -hmm. So every other industry pushes so hard to make work easier and easier and easier, thus making us softer and softer and softer as humans. So in some ways, strength conditioning is the last bastion of hardening of the human body because we're literally trying to make things harder than they are already. Mm -hmm. um, so then the idea of streamlining that hardship is instead of having to just walk outside and push on trees or do all this random things that are between easy and impossible somewhere on that continuum. Yeah, move that pile of rocks. From yeah, exactly. People are like, oh, I, got, I had a great workout. I was tired. I puked. I can make you puke doing a hundred different things that won't help you. They'll be hard. You'll probably get stronger per se, but the streamlined hardship is how do we get to that hardship as efficiently? How do we efficiently make it inefficient? We could get you programmed to that hardship as fast and as safe and as measurable as possible so you have the desired outcome on the other end so you don't have to do a bunch of random stuff for hours upon hours. If I could give you 43 minutes of streamlined hardship, that will give you the result on the back end to make you a harder, stronger, faster, harder to kill person, then that's what streamlined hardship and inefficient work is. And so when we came to the realization that efficient work is actually the antithesis of what we're trying to do here, um, I think that's when we took another step ahead. But that the, the art of it is making efficient inefficient work. Yeah. And that's where people generally miss it. So on the lines of, of human human performance coaching and, and human performance even potential, you guys developed something uh, a few years ago, I think, called um, Summer Strong. Yes. Um, and I've seen some videos from it. And while you can tell that people are there to learn some things, I mean, it sounds also like you're changing lives. That's the, that's the point. Okay. That's the point. So, so why did you start it and what is it su supposed to do? Okay, so it started 14 years ago as wow. my dad's birthday party. So, okay. <laughs> hey, Pops, what do you want to do for your birthday? I don't know. Invite some people over. Let's have some food, some drinks, lift weights. It'll be a great time. So that week we put it out on the internet. Hey, we're having an open house this weekend. If you want to come by, it's Pops' birthday. 38 people from five states showed up. We're like, oh, sweet. This is great. Wow. Um, we had a good time, but what we found almost immediately was we had, you know, at that time it was like sandbag training was just starting. So someone came in and they just started training with sandbags. Well, what I watched was the Olympic lifters and the power lifters and the strongmen 
were listening to the sandbag guy. And so they started training and trying a new modality of training. Well, right after that, it turned into Olympic weightlifting. Well, all these other practitioners of a different event, they started listening to him and trying these things out. And then it transferred into this. And at the end of it, I got looking, I said, okay, we had these dissimilar people from from the genres within the strength and conditioning world, but because there were other professionals there and because their guard was down, they all unified together and learned from one another with respect. And that was beautiful for me to see. So that was kind of became the goal. How do we pull people that all live that lifestyle, the, the hardened lifestyle, but from different neighborhoods of that lifestyle, put them in a room, shake the room, and sit back and see what happens. So six, seven years into it, we started having legitimate presenters who would show up and they'd be, you know, so we were, you know, give them time slots and everything like that. Allegedly, allegedly, it was literally, we first walked in and that people just went and we're like, okay, cool, this is great. Then we started programming people in and then we had a couple people that what I would consider went there. They, they transcended over mm. what is normally seen as a human performance strength conditioning presentation. They either talked about, you know, emotional things or, or, or things in their life. And, and all of a sudden it was like, you felt this ground shift. We're like, oh, we're onto something here because this has shifted past the nuts and bolts of training. Mm-hmm. And if people are open to doing that, there's actual strength, not just physical and mental strength. There's emotional, social, financial, um, spiritual strength, things that are being developed within people that is so far beyond steel rectangles and a squat. That is what it started shifting into. And people ask me now, what is Summer Strong? Well, is it still my dad's birthday party? Sure. But it's, it's a seminar, a competition, a cookout, a family reunion, a TED talk, um, a group therapy. It's all of those things and more because it's it all rides off of what what does the crowd, what are they doing? And then the, the people that are up on the stage, they're the, the avatar and they're the pace setters of the, of the weekend. But there's a hundred people in the crowd that could carry a national convention themselves. That's the cool part about it. You see someone in the crowd, you're like, that guy should be up here talking, not me. But that's the key of the whole thing is our joke is you're you're not the coolest person in the room, no matter who you are. <laughs> and so when people realize that when they walk through the room, they look around and they go, okay, this is the A-listers of the A-listers. And the joke is, yeah, there's 50 people you've never heard of that are in here that are also A-listers that you just don't know yet. So it becomes an exploratory thing that everyone could get involved in. Remove your ego, remove all the... The, the barriers that are up, that what you think of the strength conditioning industry as, flush those down the toilet and rebuild from, from ground zero. So that's what Summer Strong is, and that's what we're trying to do, and that's what we've been able to do. That's a great story. I, I didn't realize that it, it coincided with your, your dad's birthday, but mm-hmm. like I said, I, it's something I've been aware of just kind of in my, you know, outside of Footnotes life, and then as I was researching this and getting ready for this conversation, um, a particular gentleman struck me. I think he's a, a blade maker mm-hmm. from Hawaii. Yes, Neil Kamimura. Neil, yeah. Did you watch his presentation? I did, yeah. Perfect example, right? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he was, I would say he was the most transcendent of yeah. a, as far as didn't expect that one coming, right? Right. Um, but you talk about emotional strength and, and courageousness. 
in my opinion, it's almost impossible to beat that. Not that it's a competition, but you go, okay, what he shared, you know, a small half Japanese, half Hawaiian knife maker who doesn't lift weights, what he shared heart-wise was equal to what anyone I've, I've seen in 14 years. Yeah, we'll, we'll post a link to that. Yeah. Uh, as, as And so that, that's when I feel we're, we're on that right wavelength of what Summer Strong is, when people feel comfortable enough to do things like that. And then you have uh, professional sports teams and you have professional athletes and college athletes and high school athletes and all these people that are to, to witness something like that and be a part of that that changes them as a person. And then they could go back to their perspective teams and tribes and go, okay, I'm a better person now. I could bring you back this jewel that I found. And that's how I believe we legitimately change lives and amplify that. So let's land it on, on this. You know, you, we talked earlier about this being a multi-generational company and you and your dad get to work together and you guys are, he's mentor and business partner and, and sometimes sparring partner, I think, you know. As, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it'd be foolish for, it's like saying, you know, we've been married for 30 years, but it's been great every day. No, it hasn't. Like, it just hasn't. And there's nothing against one, one or the other. You just, you get people together for a couple decades, there's going to be friction at times. Sure. No problem. That's how it goes. Well, and a remark you made also was, you know, you, you, you remember dad being being tired and dirty and, and, and mm-hmm. all those kind of just challenges that, sure. that getting something from zero to one, you know, is, right. is, is very difficult. With no mentor. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're going to break a lot of eggs on that first good omelet, right? right? So that's where he was, and you guys are working alongside each other, mm-hmm. and that's that kind of founder pressure that, that yeah. you know, is... is, is hear a lot about but but for you the next generation mm-hmm. where do you feel the pressure where do you feel uh some of that strain in terms of say the next 30 years of, sure. of the business uh well i mean i say one of some of the biggest pressures right now are, are the unknowns that you can't you can't control that we see in our world right now whether it's politically economically you know we've the little health thing we've got going on too yeah the little health thing you know <laughs> little health thing taxes mandates it's just a wonderful day for running a business <laughs> but that's the stuff really i'm more concerned about because you can't plan on the unknown on that side sure. you have to kind of gamble and guess like the rest of the world is doing right whereas you know you have personnel issues inside you have warranty issues you have design issues like we're pretty good with that we've been around 41 years we we know that game um, you know, the pressures, is there, is there a pressure for me? Sure. There's a pressure for me to, I want to grow the business to the point that my dad is, is excited about still having his name on it and being an owner. Mm-hmm. And have we grown that tree out of the acorn that he planted 41 years ago? Yeah. And is it something that he looks at and goes, wow, this is, I glad I was here for this. And so my pressure is making my dad proud for what he's he's created. And I've picked up the sword and started swinging because we have two different job descriptions. He came in in a forest with a machete and hacked a path mm-hmm. and turned it into a two track road and to something great. And then I came through and widened the road a little bit. And then together we've made it a four lane highway, but there's always different challenges with each one. Mm-hmm. Four lane highways all of a sudden have Regulations, right? And speed limits and things like that. When you have a machete and a and a, tr- you kind of have the wild west. And he got, he was in the wild west. I'm in a civilized, you know, first world country. They're two different animals, but they're the, they're the same. And so his challenges were significantly different than mine. I can never go back and experience those same challenges that right. he did. 
And it, thankfully, he's here as a mentor and guidance for as we go through these new challenges together, because every step is a, is a new challenge that maybe we haven't dealt with before. So I feel that pressure <clears throat> from the history side, of course, the current pressure of running a business. But then there's the part of me that says, you know, I'd love my kids to have an opportunity in this. I'd love the, the, the employees that we have now that we have, you know, multiple multiple families that rely on this company <clears throat> to do their life at the level they're looking for, that's an additional pressure. You know, I don't want to let close to 200 people and their families down yeah. by decisions that we make. So the pressures have changed, you know, and there's a part of me that goes, gosh, that would have been awesome to only have to worry about me, you know? And then there's the other side of me goes, wow, it's amazing that we have the footprint we do. And, you know, I get excited when one of our customers wins a Super Bowl or a world championship and this or that and the other. And I go, gosh, we have this, this effect on the community that we care for so much. And we feel the weight of that. We want to make sure that our military that buys from us, they're as strong and as capable as possible. I don't like when I hear my friends, you know, of course, I don't like it. It's, it's gut-wrenching when friends of mine text me. They say, hey, we lost a group over here because of the war. And these are like, not guys they've heard about. These are guys they served with. And these are my good friends telling me this, or maybe guys I've met before, or the guys I know trained on our stuff and worn a Sornex shirt, they're not with us anymore. Mm. And that hits hard because I go, sometimes when it's your time, it's your time. But like, what could we do as a company to put a better product or a better service out there that'll keep those guys and girls safe? And, you know, thus keeping our country safe and free. So there's a lot of weight that goes goes along with it more than just profit and loss sheets. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, of course. And, and, you know, we talked about a couple of different things. And, you know, it there there's, I'm not just blowing glitter around the room, but there's something about, uh, it reminds me of a conversation we have with another business owner. He's like, the 13 children whose parents work for my business depend on me to make good decisions. There's something about people that understand how many families you got are affected by the by the paycheck, the livelihood, the, yes. the work and all that stuff. And um, we need we need more, we, we need to multiply that mindset across yes. uh, the, the business community. And the good news is I think in the private business world, the, the companies that don't have stock tickers and sure. have Wall Street Journal articles written about them. Like that—that right. that is a lot that, of the that ethos. still is there. Where those people that have been loyal to you for years, and I mean, one of our one of our metrics. Of course, we have the typical metrics that most companies have. Sure, but one of our metrics is: um, do when do our employees buy their first home? When do they buy you know, their starter home? When do they get to buy their next level home? When when do they get to buy a second car in their family? Some some guys have told me they said. No one in my family's ever owned a second car in their family, and no one's, no, we've never owned a home, like wow. my line of family. And he's, they're like, since I've been here, we've moved out of a single wide trailer into a rental house. Now we bought a house. My family just bought our second car. Like that's, that's the modality or the, the, um, the metrics that I go, okay, that's cool. We're designing some things and some, some infrastructure that's legitimately changing the lives around us. And if, but that's a lot of pressure, which yeah. goes with it, because then I realize, based upon my position, my actions could could make a difference of where that kid goes to school. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey, thank you for sitting down with us. And um, thank you for doing what you guys are doing, for going the distance in your business and for just all these things that are outside of what most people would say is your responsibility. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much for, for the time. I really appreciate it.